0: to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center. Perry! Scoot! Corey Perry! Lillian able to shake away from Solani. It's away the. All right. We are back with a post game show and don't we pick the, the right games? Eh? Perfect. Yeah, dude,
1: we have wonderful timing. There's no way that this was stupid of us There's to no do There's no way
0: we thought a back to back against the Oilers after they rattled off three straight wins with a new head coach would be uh would be a bad game to cover.
1: Not at all. No, no shit. <laughs> like so I I'll be let's just start here real quick. Before, you know, we do whatever the hell else we're going to do. I've been a very, like, vocal defender of Dallas Aikens. And there have been games every so often where I'm like, ooh, yeah, he really does look like he's gotten better, but he's not really good yet. Or, you know what I mean? Like, he hasn't really gotten to that level. But it's like, all right, fine, I like what he's doing. But, like, I think tonight it's pretty stark to watch – your coach get out coached by a guy who's had the job for a week. Yeah. Like these aren't even assistants down there. Those guys came up from Bakersfield. Like if it was assistant coaches, that would bother me a lot less than two new guys. And I understand that, you know, some of them have, you know, like a pre existing relationship, right? Like, uh, Dave Manson and uh, was someone I know people were excited for, like Evan Bouchard, for because they already worked together in Bakersfield, yeah. and then like Yamamoto and Paul Jarvi, Like I, I get that there's a little bit there, but it's not the same. Like I don't think Drysdale and McDavid ever played for them. You know what I mean? Like I just it's oh boy, it yeah. hurts. It hurts. Like a it, bit. it's
0: tough for sure. Like you, there are moments he got outcoached in that game, uh, but again, like the <laughs> you're taking over a team that has the two top scorers in the league that just added a player like Evander Kane. So, I mean, I think there's a, there is a a – I forgot what the stat was. it the most five-goal games this year or something like that? And it was uh, – the Oilers are now tied with the Panthers for the most five-goal five goal games. So, this team never had a problem scoring. It was just they can't keep the puck under their back in and, and play defense. So, they have games like this, and they're capable of doing this. So, before I start giving – what is it, Jay Woodcroft is the new coach for the Oilers? Uh, credit. Yeah. Uh, would we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'd love to give them credit. I, I hope they would, they could turn it around because they they'll be trying to do something nobody's been able to do. What is it? Five or six head coaches now for McDavid. So,
1: yeah. Well, here's the other thing though about that. Like, I, I get what you're saying that the, the weapons are there, but like the defense looks better. Like they're noticeably improved defending, just entries into their own zone and stuff. Like there were still times where like you still have. Tyson Berry out there, or it's still Cody Cece or right, or even Darnell Nurse, who, you know, I don't think is bad defensively per se, but like he's definitely had like moment like where he hasn't looked super great in the past, and so I think he just looks a little bit better, you know. They all like that's the part of it for me is like they just look a little bit more sound in their own end, and that's always what the coach was going to need to be able to do, like you know, especially now with like you said adding. Um, Kane. So now, you know, I mean, the, their third line can reasonably have Hyman and Nugent Hopkins on it. That's huge. Yep. You know what I mean? And then you've got guys like Puldry and Yamamoto who can slide up the Fogel, roster for the lineup. A pretty good game today too. Exactly. You know, and I just. I I don't know, man. It's, I guess what I'm saying is just like.
0: Th-
1: I feel like they had a bigger impact on this game than Dallas Aikens did. And that shouldn't happen. Yeah. Especially the, the, the spot. Given that, that it's their yeah, fourth game. No, for
0: sure. When you're still trying to figure out a team, you know, some of these guys, but not everybody. And you're just imposing presumably a new system. And, uh, but if you're, if you're Edmonton right now, like this is a team you want to face, uh, if you want to face Anaheim, the way they're playing right now, and, and, you know, the struggles that they're having, um to, to go off and rattle off four straight wins and, and play a team on the second game of a back to back a tough loss last night against the Flames where it was what, it was is six two in that game too, so it was not a not a great yeah. uh, Western Canada road trip for for Anaheim. And we we talked about this on a few podcasts uh during the break when the Ducks didn't have any games that you know first game back against Seattle, that should be a must win that they lost. a uh, game where yep. you need to pick up points. It's it's a four point game in the sense. It's not one where you know, a playoff battle, right? Where Seattle's not going to really challenge you for a playoff spot, but it was these two games that you earmarked and said, okay, if they lose these two games, those are four point games. Now, all of a sudden you're buried further down in the standings because the Oilers have won four in a row and the flames have rattled off uh, some success over their last 10 games. And all of a sudden that, you know, seven game, seven games in hand that the flames and Oilers had, those have caught back up now. And the ducks are sitting fifth in the Pacific division and slowly, getting out of the race like they're they're going to be left in the dust here and we, we talked about how big of a month february is going to be and you still have vancouver and, and a few other teams to face before the end of at uh, the end of february here but these were the games if you had to kind of stay in the playoff hunt here those are the ones that you wanted to win
1: yeah i mean like look like with edmonton and calgary having those games in hand you 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 especially need to control the games that you can control. You can't, you know, play those other seven games and make sure they lose, but, like, you can play the head-to-head matchup and win. Like, you need to pick up those points. Like you said, they're all four-point games, and when they have those games in hands and they're playing well, you know, they're going to get wins against other teams. You know, the bottom of the Pacific is still the bottom of the Pacific. Like, you know, so I just think it, it like, like you said, it's, it's a really bad look and it just feels like tonight of all night. Like, I guess the thing, like I caught myself kind of looking back to like the irony of this being the Western Canada thing of like bad stretch coach gets let go in February version of like Carlisle on the Eastern Canada right. road trip, you know? And I just, well, think all the positives it, just go out the window, it right? Where feels. Yeah. Eerie. It, Like it just they feel similar like in mood like where you're like oh this isn't seem like it's getting better if we like obviously this season is much better than that season was But
0: I would agree and 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 it does have that feel the only the only saving grace that Dallas Aikens have is one they just have a new GM in in Pat Verbeek and that's the last thing that's on his mind and two his contract's up at the end of the season so it's a, a move right now that they could just they don't really have to make and the candidates that are available. Um, there's going to be a lot more to choose from at the end of the season, presumably, yeah. right? So, but it, it does have that feel, right? Like this, this is a pivotal season-defining stretch, season-defining two-game road trip, if you want to call it that, for the Ducks, where, you know, they're, they're not in the playoffs by winning these two games, but you put yourself in a better position, right? You're you're at 59 points. Right, you're staying in you're the still fight. If you win both of these games, you're second in the Pacific Division right now. You're still four points up on the Oilers. You're... Uh, one point behind the Flames, you're up on uh, a tied with Vegas. Obviously, those teams still have games in hand, but you're in the fight. And now all of a sudden, you're seven points behind Calgary, and they have four games in hand. You're um, four points behind Vegas. Vegas has two, uh, two games in hand. You're two points now behind the Oilers, who have three games in hand. And all of a sudden, it's, it's really falling out of place. And even the Kings are sitting in fourth right now, tied on points, but they have three games in hand right and now now right. you're starting to look at okay now we're in the draft lottery and we we're, we're back to what where we kind of expected we'd be at the beginning of the year but now that's what we're going to be talking about which listen like this is kind of where you ultimately expected them to end up the fact that you had such a great start and you were in the playoff hunt for a while for almost half the season that's exciting in its own right and that's development and and it's it's progress for them that they have been better than last year in some areas and have had more exciting uh, play throughout the year. And obviously the the progression of Seagrass and Terry and Drysdale to some extent as well. Like that is, that's a positive for sure. But now now we're starting to get to kind of drawn back to earth here of what we expected for this team.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, um, <clears throat> Like you said, like, they're coming down. Like, I, I still think there are plenty of positives to take from this season, right? I don't want to be complete downers about it. Like, there's a lot to like here. But th- these two games, I think, especially stand out because, again, they were after the break. Like we talked about with the schedule, this is going to be their chance to stay in the fight for the playoff hunt. But also, like, you know, the the trade deadline is coming up. We've just had these couple of articles or these couple of appearances or things about, like, Pat Rubik and, like, what he's going to be doing and it's just like you watch the way they play and it's like, what is the incentive for him to keep those guys? What is those incentive for those guys to want to stay, right? Like because that's the way you're keeping them is you get that contract, that, uh, that contract extension with them. That's the only way these guys are staying here. You're not going to keep them and let them walk in free agency. So if there isn't anything – like on the ice right now to show them that it's worth hanging around, they're not going to sign it. And at that point, you can't lose them for nothing. And the team isn't competitive um, in that way, right? Like, it, it never really was, but it, you know, look, like, you know, we all had the fan. I, I will speak for myself instead of using the Royal we. but, like, I was, you know, <clears throat> a little high on my own supply or whatever it was as far as, like, um, you know, the, uh, the, the dreams of, like, a Giroux or a Pavelski or some of these... These rental players, you know, and and it clearly was unsustainable hot streaks and a power play clicking um, at a high level. But like we've seen some of this stuff come down to earth and it's just as the season drags on, these things are, are more likely to level out. You're more likely to find yourself at that kind of active medium or median, I guess, of like what play is for you. You know they've kind of settled into exactly what we expect them to be, like you said. Like it really feels like the hot streak at the beginning, the what eight game win streak. Yeah. Like basically that is the only reason that they're even kind of in the conversation right now, because at that point, beyond that they're a sub five hundred team from wins and losses.
0: So. And and you know what? It's it's almost better it happened now, right? And and you you would yeah. want the downturn to kind of happen where it is now. Like this this is the perfect spot for you to kind of figure out exactly where this team is. You're a month out from the deadline you've got a new GM in who can start to assess and, and really make a decision from what we've seen. You know, Lindholm, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more, uh, but Lindholm is set to test the free agent market, so that likely kind of writes the script for him to be on the way out, especially with the Ducks' struggles. Ricard Raquel looks to be on his way out. Manson still potentially could, but uh, he I think I guess he'd prefer to stay is what uh, the report is, but can still see him heading out the door. And, you know, you'd rather it now than... You know, after the deadline, you've gone out and you've you've made, maybe you haven't swung for the fences and added a Drew or Pravelsky, but you've gone out and added or you haven't sold those players and then the downturn happens and all of a sudden you miss the playoffs right. and you haven't sold those guys. So they've left it almost as late as you could possibly want it to f- for this downturn to happen. But it is good timing in the sense, okay, now we know what this team is. Yes, they have been better this year and there was a great start to the year, but we're starting to kind of come back down to earth like I said here and now you can you know make the smart decisions the right decisions to hopefully you know accelerate this rebuild retool get some young assets in and and you know prepare to be better next year and the year after that
1: yeah i mean so i don't know i don't know really a ton of what else there is to get into it so we might as well just kind of talk about it since we're already yeah. here like do you think there is any incentive beyond waiting for a better offer to not moving guys sooner than later?
0: Yeah, I I think I think some teams are still waiting for that first domino to fall. Like I know Toffoli was the first piece to get traded, but he's not as comparable to like the rental market hasn't been set yet, right? Because Toffoli had I think two years left after this, so that is. it still sets the price on a Ford of his capabilities, but it's, again, it's not a rental. And, it's the you know, the defenseman market hasn't been set. So when we see, like, a Ben Chirot get dealt, who's a rental defenseman, and he goes for a first and a third or whatever he ends up going for, that could give you what the Ducks should expect to get for Josh Manson. And, you know, if when a rental Ford gets moved, that could tell you the price for Ricard Raquel. But the problem then with waiting is okay, now one team that was interested has now given up that first for Sherrod. and this other yeah. team has now given up their first for whoever, whatever forward is available. Okay, that set the price for right. Raquel and Manson, but now there's one less suitor out there. So that price only stays that high as long as there's other teams bidding. When you get down to that last team that's out there, you got to accept whatever they can, they're can they giving you at that point, right? And the leverage kind of goes out the window. So there is this waiting game you got to kind of test here is do you want to be the first team to set the price and, and, you know, if you get the offer you're looking for, you, sh- you just take it. Or do you wait for another team to set that price for you, but then at risk of, you know, taking one more suitor out of the game and one more, one
1: more team that would be interested in these guys out of the mix. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I, I think uh, it kind of feels like it comes down to like, you knowing what your minimum yeah. return is and having to stick to that for as long as you can. Right. Cause until the trade deadline day, like, you have time. So you can't hold out and just wait, and then they're like, all right, well, we're going to take then that second pick is going to be a fourth instead of a third, and we'll take this prospect instead of that one, and then with the first, and fine. You know what I mean? Like, But, like, I also do think there's something to be said for going out and being the ones to set the market and being like, look, we'll trade you this guy right now, but, you you know, if you don't want to pay this much, you can go get Ben Sherrod, but he's not as good. He's not going to do the things for you that Hampus Lindholm is going to do. You know, Hampus Lindholm isn't small. Again, he's like six foot three, like 210, 215, something like that. Like, he's not a small guy. You know, he, he doesn't play overly physical, um, but he uses his body really well. So he's not somebody that, like, you're worried about there getting pushed around or anything like that. Like, there's, you know what I mean? And, like, Ricard Raquel, I think that one for me is a little less of a concern because, I imagine that'll be the easiest player to trade. He doesn't have any trade protection. They can retain half of his salary and keep him under two $2 million in cap hit. And he's a top six winger. Like, he just is what he is. Like, he should be either a first-round pick or a top prospect. And, you know, then you got to balance out from there. Like, is it a second-round pick like the Toffoli to Montreal trade, right? Or is it something else? So... You know, I I just think with Lindholm, I think is the one for me that I I would be looking to get a little aggressive on and kind of courting those trade offers, because I think he's the one that you have the best chance of setting a high market with. Yeah,
0: I I would say so. Instead of somebody lowballing. Yeah, I
1: I would I would say when you look
0: at the rental market for defensemen, uh, Lindholm is either number one or number two. with John Klingberg being the other guy who's probably near the top of that list. I I don't include Chickren as a rental, obviously, because he's got a couple more years left, and I feel like that deal is it's beside any of these other deals. Like, it's not going to affect what Sherratt's price is going to be and what Lindholm's price is going to be. Like, that Chikorin deal could happen or it could not. Like, the the Coyotes don't have to do that, and and it's really separate of any other deals that are going to go on. But, yeah, the Ducks could easily go into the market and get something really good for Lindholm, which they should if the rumored price on guys like Sherrod is a first and a third. Like, you need to get close to double that for a player like Lindholm, even with him being an unrestricted free agent. Like, he should be... The most sought after defenseman, in my opinion, even with Klingberg out of there, if you're a team that is looking to add, you know, a really good top four two way defenseman, he would be at the top of everybody's list, I would imagine, Uh, especially the teams that got priced out of Jacob Chikrin and can't bring him in. And we've talked about them before, teams like Florida and teams like New York and. Uh, Boston, uh, that could really use uh, a player like Campus Lintoma, And also, again, yeah, he's going to test free agency, but there is something to be said about, okay, now we get this guy for a playoff run, and we could to be the first ones to kind of talk a, a contract yep. extension with him. Um, and of all these players, when you look at, you know, which, which guy would a team want to keep around beyond this year, again, he's probably near the top of that list, if not the top uh, of that list of guys that you'd want to keep around and sign to a long-term deal. Uh, and and there's something to be said about being the first ones to kind of pitch him on something and give him an offer he can't refuse and and get that locked up before July 1st so uh, I I think it's going to be the toughest one to get done because it's going to cost a lot for a team to acquire him and you're going to have a pretty high minimum that you're willing to accept to move him out the door but at the end of the day like If he is set, like they say, on testing free agency, you do have to trade him. And and you eventually kind of have to take whatever the best offer is, which I still imagine is going to be fairly high because there's going to be a lot of teams that
1: are interested in Hampus Lindholm. So let me ask you this. Is there any team you wouldn't trade Lindholm to? I, I, I don't think so. With the understanding that he could re-sign there. That being the the underlying thing, right? It's like, what what happens if he re-signs there?
0: Like, I, I think there, there's some teams you could look at and say, you know, you, you would rather him not go there. You know, again, Pacific Division teams, Calgary, Edmonton. Uh-huh. But when we're looking at timelines of when the Ducks are going to be competitive again versus Lindholm's effectiveness in three or four or five years... I think if the best offer comes from a team, even if it's Calgary, Edmonton, yeah. and it's significantly better than whatever your second best offer is, then you take it. Right. Because yeah. as Dalton yeah. said, in here, like, he could resign anywhere. Anyways, doesn't mean he's going to go to Calgary and he's going to resign there. Same with Edmonton. You've got, yeah, you've always got that chance. Like I said, that they get that first right to kind of talk to him and, and offer him um, a contract, but it doesn't mean he's going to go there and, all, all things seem to point to him just going into July 1st and just seeing what offer he's going to get from every other team. Like, I don't think he's going to settle, even if it is with a, a team that is competitive. I think he's going to go into July 1st. He's not going to sign anywhere. And he's going to just get the four or five best offers that come in and decide where he wants to go. You know, there's something to be said about players being able to do that for the first time in their career and having kind of the freedom to choose where they want to go. And he seems to be set on doing so. And, before, you know, I want to answer a question quickly, too, from Firebites in the chat. He said, should we be going for picks or, or top prospects for Lindholm? I would probably lean closer to the second, to the latter there, and top prospects. Players a little bit closer to being NHL ready. But uh, if you're getting another first, I think that uh, that has to be in. I think it's a mix of both. Like, you got to get a first-round pick for him and then some prospects with it. Unless that top prospect who's coming back is a capo caco or something like that. Now that's an extreme, but those are some of the guys we've talked about before, unless you're getting like a real high end top prospect that you can kind of forego that first for.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I think, um, you know,
0: I, sorry, I kind of took us off the rails there.
1: No, 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 no. I'm just thinking about it. Cause it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, this is one of those things where like this is kind of how did you hope the gm is like able to like you always hope somebody undervalues one of their own players and you can sneak them out mm-hmm. right and i think that's always like the thing for me is like do you want to do that or do you want to take you know one of the more clear-cut prospects because if there is like a diamond in the rough like there's probably a reason for whatever that is but you're also just you know you're you're gonna end up pushing on price and stuff like that like I don't know it's just I I don't know I'm a little inarticulate right now and I apologize but I think prospects are definitely better to increasing the efficacy but I think they're still in a window where having a second pick and maybe being able to trade up into yeah. uh, in the draft, I think, it is not um, uh, is not a bad idea. I think they're still close enough in that window, right? Because we figure Zellweger's probably two years away still. McTavish is, you know, he'll probably be on the, team, on the team next year, but I think it would be more than fair to expect that he's not going to walk in as an impact player just because it's hard to do. You know, so having another pick and then maybe, you know, when those guys are on the second or third year or their next contract, now you've got a couple of kids that you took in this draft coming in on their ELCs and things like that. So I think there are legitimate merits to both. I think ultimately you have to look at who you're trading with and where you think that pick is gonna fall. Because if that pick is between twenty-six and thirty-two. Then I think maybe, yeah, you go. I'd rather have the prospect. Now, Anaheim has had a lot of luck, you know, with Perot and Tracy picking in that exact range. But, you know, I think it's it's easier to walk away from that pick. Yeah, maybe um, don't as target the Division like, winners <laughs> where you're getting like a bottom yeah, four pick yeah, for sure. Exactly. Right? So. But, you know, if you know what's going to be in that 17, 18, 19 range, like, yeah, just outside of the lottery, like, hell yeah. You know, like, that's, like, the Kings are kind of interesting in that way, right? Because, like, they're going to be in the mix, but if they make it, it's going to be as a wildcard team, which means that pick is going to be lower down. And, like, that's always something I've found is really interesting is, like, the fact that GMs who are, like, sellers should target the wildcard teams because they're in a position to give you the best pick, but they're also in a position to where they need that help the most, because if you're a wild card team you I mean shit we fucking already did it. You can talk yourselves into oh, we got to go get this guy and this is going to put us over the edge and, you know, whatever. We can win from the A seat or whatever you want to say. So, um, you know, I think watching those teams like you said like a Boston. I think Boston's kind of around the wild card, Pittsburgh is around the wild card like and Boston is you know. just there basically because the how good
0: the other teams in the division are when you like Toronto and Florida and Tampa are all near the top of that division Boston I think is in fourth but they're 28-17 and 2 or something so you know you can target them they'll likely be a lower pick despite their record just because of that division in front of them
1: yeah here's a question i have for you what do you how do you feel at this point, right? Given that we're kind of looking at this next three or four year window, how do you feel about taking on salary with term at this point to, you know, kind of doing a David Backus trade, right? Where you're like, we'll take that extra year and that extra cap hit and we'll get a little bit more for it. Like, do you think that's still worth it or would you rather have the flexibility that comes with that cap
0: space? I, I think it depends on the contract, right? Like, we've joked about Jeff Skinner before obviously you started picking it up for the Sabres but I'm you know I wouldn't want a lo- a big contract like that for five six seven years but I think if you're if you're looking on you know shipping Jason Reed yeah something that's two three years and you know it, you can get it off the books pretty quickly and you have still the chance to maybe flip this guy as an unrestricted free agent a pending one and eat half the salary yeah. and, and move him out if he if he does well with your team. Like, I'm okay with those deals. If you're getting assets for taking this guy and potentially get assets again down the road for flipping this guy, or he becomes a valuable member of your team, I think on the right deal, the Ducks should definitely be looking at something like that, as well as moving, you know, again, we talked about moving Kessler's contract. If, if somebody is willing to give you something for that, uh, they should be exploring all avenues of bringing in assets um, and We've heard from the previous GM that that is something they wanted to do this year. Uh, And I don't think that changes with Pat Verbeek if the right offer comes through that, you know, a a team says, hey, you want to take this contract from us? We'll give you a second-round pick or we'll give you this prospect. And it makes sense for the Ducks. I think they'll do it. And especially if you have bodies going out the door, right? If you have a Raquel or a Lindholm and Manson, or all three of them going out the door and you can bring in a guy who's still an NHL player, yeah, his contract sucks, but you just eat that salary hit. For the ducks to probably have to get back to the floor with all these guys moving out potentially, and you get more assets <laughs> yeah. for it, why not, right? You you need players, you need guys who are going to play despite them. uh Like a lot of people are saying, they're in full tank mode, uh, and you get to, if you can get some extra assets for it, then yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all for, for deals like that. But uh avoid maybe the four to five six year contracts with with uh, with some significant term yeah. on it, where that could come come to back to hurt you down the road.
1: Yeah, I think the one that feels like it might happen um, is taking back Marco Scandella if that St. Louis uh, Louis trade happens because I think they could easily talk themselves into giving up premium assets if they could get that Scandella contract off the books and bring in a player like Lindholm to replace him. So I just you know and that's two more years at 3.275 um you know like again uh what do you call it uh, philly's not buyers but that that kind of james van reamday mm-hmm. contract where there's another year left at seven million so it's like short pain but high cap hit. And you're like all right fine
0: yeah and if uh-huh. the buyers are really trying to tear it down right if drew's on his way out and they <clears throat> want to just get as much cap off the books as they can now and just start fresh while they've still got some of the young players like connect me and farabee and, and Hart in the organization and and just get uh, as many guys off the books as possible, then yeah, you could look at that. But And um, there's a lot of teams that will be interested in Lindholm, and the good thing is there's a few of them that have some really deep prospect pools. Uh, you know, when you look at New York and Florida and Carolina as teams that could be interested, you know, St. Louis and Boston I think are great fits for Lindholm. I'm not sure the prospect that you're going to get back is, is necessarily better or as highly regarded as some of the, the guys you could get from the other teams, but I mean, the more shooters you get, the higher you can drive the price up potentially, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. That's, it's about creating a pity war. And that's, you know, I mean, we talked about it earlier, you said it perfectly. That's, that's the, the risk reward factor you run with trying to walk it out towards, uh, towards the deadline and to make sure that you are getting that return, but that you're not shooting yourself in the foot, now forcing yourself um to, to take a lesser package simply because you were stubborn, right? Which is kind of what we all were afraid Bob Murray was doing. Um, you know, I guess the other thing I wanted to ask you is since we're kind of talking about, like, trades and stuff like that, like, uh, Tifer just had that article about Sam Steele and Max Comtois might be kind of lost in a numbers game a little bit. You know, Max Comtois missed a run of games there. And then Sam Steele was getting left out of the lineup and only came back in because Getzi's health uh, hurt. Like, do you think Anaheim should be taking calls on everyone? Or like, and I guess it's, this is a little bit more for Comtois, because I think at this point with Steele, like if somebody calls and was like, we'll give you a second, you're like, okay, great. Um, But like with Comtois, like he's got, I think, another year, if not two left on that deal, it's super low cap, at, like just over $2 million. And, you know, he's a player that I think teams have seen be tangibly impactful. And I wonder if, you know, a team that's looking to keep costs down um, would be interested in a player like that. I, I think I
0: would only move Comtois if it's a make way for a bigger deal. You know, a, a chicken uh-huh. or something like that where they're saying, OK, Comtois has to be in this deal to make it happen. And then the rest of the deal makes sense. I, I think that's the only way. It would make sense for me to pull the trigger on that deal. Like I don't think you're moving Comtwa out for another um, struggling player, if you want to call it that, or picks or anything at this point. I, I think there's some some clear evidence for why Comtwa is struggling this year. You know, he's not been given necessarily the same opportunities. He's being healthy scratched for DeLore and Grant to play. And he's got an abysmally low shooting percentage, it's like four percent right now, when he was shooting like seventeen percent last season. When you go look at the underlying right. numbers, there's been a real focus on the defensive side of the game for him. He's picked up his defensive play. And as we've seen for development of players in the past, like that can be at the detriment of your offense for a couple seasons when you're starting to iron out that side of your game. You've got him at two years at a really great cap hit. I, I think he's a guy from we've we've seen what he can do when we look at what his production was last year. He's one of the guys that you've you got to kind of hold on to unless – like I said, he's a make way in a, in a significant deal for a player, you know, a great young player like Chickren or
1: something like that. So I guess let me ask it this way. Would you do Comtois for DeBrusque? I don't think so, no. You don't think so? No.
0: Um, I, I mean, ultimately, Comtois' production, when you look at it like a point per game rate last year, was what Boston gets in a really good year from Jake DeBrusque. And... which is what Anaheim got in a really good year from exactly. him. Exactly, but I, I think there's potential think... for some more upside there. Now, I'm I'm all for acquiring Jake DeBrusque. I just don't think like a straight swap yet for a player yeah, like come is sure. is worth it for me. Um, it it's it. I think at worst a lateral move, right, is if Kuntwah becomes yeah. DeBrusque, but. Uh, I think there's something to be said about developing your own prospects and waiting and giving them time to see what they they can become I come to us what 22 at this point so you know last year was his real kind of first breakthrough full season in the the NHL so you're going to expect struggles at some point and 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 like I said, there there are some identifiable numbers and factors you can look at for why he's struggling this year and point to that and say, listen, it's just kind of an unlucky year when it comes to finishing and he's kind of been bounced around a few different lines and healthy scratch and hasn't and then injured and and coming back from that. So I think it's premature to say, Okay, let's move him now. Like let's give him a full runway, healthy setup to, to begin the season next year get him on a line that he's comfortable with and, and let's see what he can do then. And if we're sitting here at the same time next year and these struggles are still here, I think that I'm a bit more comfortable saying, okay, maybe now we look at moving him out for a, you know, another struggling player, you know, Philip Zadina or something like that.
1: Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, um, I, it's just been something that I've just been kind of, you know, looking at and wondering about, especially with, the cap space right now being so tight for everyone. There's really only like two ish, like legit contenders that have more than, you know, a million and a half in cap space, if that. Um, and so I was just, you know, he'd be cost controlled. He has one more year. He just turned 23 at the beginning of January. Um, you know, he makes 2037. He's going to be an RFA at the end of this deal. So there's still all that security and team control. And I just was thinking like, I wonder if that is something that, with him being out of the lineup a little bit up and down this year, if he is a player teams would call Oh, I definitely think Because he does provide, yeah. And so, like, what would you, you know, like, would you be open to moving him, that kind of a thing? Like, it's just, it was just, I guess, like a thought exercise. Because, like, the, the reality of it is, is with all the prospects that are coming up, you can't keep everybody, so some of these guys are going to get moved or lost in the shuffle just just by nature. That's just the way the numbers work, yeah. right? I think if
0: you get an offer that, that's, that's that. too good to refuse, then at that point, you know, you've you've as a jam, you've got your price set on what you would be willing to move this guy for, uh, and you've probably set it a bit higher, like aiming not for how he's playing this year, but for as if we traded him at his peak, this is what we would have let him go for. And if you get that, then you might have to take it at that point. Because, yeah, there will be a lot of teams, like you said, that are tight against the cap that they can't go for, you know, the Jerus and, and the JT Millers and the the top guys that are going to be available. And that will be when, you, you know, okay, maybe they're calling to discuss Raquel and then the, the discussion shifts to a Comtois or something like that or a team directly calls about Maxim Comtois. They want to see if he's available and, and their offer just kind of blows you out of the water and you kind of have to take it. And along those same lines, I think that's what's going to make Ricardo Kell so valuable at this deadline, and why the Ducks will ultimately get a decent return for him is because of his cap hit. When it's when you come to the deadline, it's going to be almost nothing. And if you think, okay, maybe the Ducks eat even a million or two off of that, or I guess they can't eat two because that's more than fifty percent, but you know, a million to a million and a half off that deal, it's, it's next to nothing. Like any team can fit him under. At forty yeah. to fifty percent retained uh, at the deadline, and that that's extreme value for the Ducks. When you think, you know, now they can start going to these teams that can't go after the Drews, and really just hang them out to dry and say, like, you can't go out and get anybody else. Like this is the best guy you're going to get, and he's going to cost you absolutely right. nothing. This is what we want, and they can start yeah. They they have ultimate leverage, I think. In that sense, what at least what it looks like with a player like Raquel, because they can go to some of these teams that
1: can't afford to go after the big names. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I think, um, yeah, it would be right about one eight five. Yeah, like there's no there. Every team could find a salary to move out to make room for that. Um, You know, so yeah, I think you know between him not having uh, any trade protection and his cap it being minuscule, I think he'll be definitely be the easiest for them to move. And the question will just be, you know, does that make him the most likely to last until deadline day? Yeah. Just because there is something to be said for like, I know that when the time comes, I'm going to have an offer that I'll take. So we're going to hold out and kind of do our research and yada, yada, yada. Whereas, you know, maybe with Lindholm, if somebody comes up and they give you something close to perfect, you really think hard about it because you don't, you know, want to give them more time to to go and solve that problem, right? Yeah. So I, I, it's just, it's just interesting, I guess. It's just I think at this point, you know, with the way the season's kind of turned a little bit, I think, and having Verbeek come in and, and knowing that we're getting fresh eyes, I think a lot of people have kind of turned their eyes to the deadline and what this team is going to look like after it, and what kind of, you know, kind of uh, a statement, I guess, that that will be from Verbeek about what he sees happening here, you know, because I think there aren't a lot of guys that play like on this team right now, there aren't a lot of guys that play as physically as Comtois with his upside. Right. Um And so I could see a team like Anaheim or a player like Pat Verbeek who, you know, appreciates both parts of that, being someone who would be like, you know, I'm going to hold on to this guy. I don't think I want to take calls. And Like, obviously, if somebody godfathers you, they godfather you. But more often than not, you're like, nah, he's not really anybody I'm interested in. Or because you've got all these prospects, is he somebody that you start to put out there? And I just... Like I said, I think you can go either way on it. I think it's ultimately a like an aesthetic choice almost. Um, but I just think it's it's going to be very interesting to see where this team is because what Verbeek does at the deadline is going to be the best impression we're going to get of what he actually thinks with this team because there's not going to be the ability right to choose your words carefully. It's just like these are the guys that left this is what we got back and that's just definitive right so i, I don't know i just think it's 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 going to be a really interesting about a month uh for the next yeah about next month for like yeah I,
0: and I, I think this is the first time i've probably changed my stance on this is i think campus Lindholm could potentially be the first one moved of the three just because you know, you wanna, you've you want got a fair amount of suitors who can want to afford him and have the need and the real drive to go out and get a player like him. It's going to be like four or five teams, maybe three or four, who are really heavily invested into getting him, the same teams that are probably in on Chikrin and feel like now they can't get him and have the assets to get it done. And I, I think he could go first. I think Raquel and him are, are going to get moved. I think Manson, with the reports that he would like to stay and... I think there's always been you know, a love, not to say the Ducks haven't loved Lindholm and Raquel, but there's always been this this sense with Manson that he could re-sign at some point, Like especially when Murray was here, that there was no chance he was going to leave. I think that softened a little bit. But again, he's the hardest one to move as well because he has that no-trade uh, list that he can submit, whereas Raquel and Lindholm, you can float out to anybody. So I think there's there's a lot of kind of hoops you have to jump through to move Manson and find the right partner for him at this point to to move him out, but... I could see Lindholm and, and Raquel being moved before the deadline. And and the most interesting part of all of this is, like, is there a team that could come in and get both? Like, you know, a Carolina or, or New York who could just have the cap space and have the need for both of these guys. And like we said, Ra- Raquel, I mean- you don't have to really retain anything on, Lin- on Lindholm. The Ducks have the ability to bring on a bad contract. Retain some on Raquel if they want to make it non-existent and just up the asking price to a point where, like, yeah, okay, it makes sense to put both these guys together because what you could get for them individually isn't going to be as good.
1: All right. Well, let me – I guess let's ask it the question this way. We've the same agent now too. (laughs) Like, like, okay, let's say you take Patrick Nemeth makes 2.5 and and Philip Chittle makes 2.3. So that's you know four eight almost five million that would be close to what fifty percent on both of them like from what are you asking for in that case if you're sending those out taking money back like is it Schneider and Lafreniere and a first like I I, I think like, I think that might is, that that might be too much I, I think
0: Schneider a first and then. You know, a a B level prospect, and then maybe a, another pick on top of that, like a third from twenty twenty three. I think that's what you're you're potentially looking at uh, as kind of a starting point. I, I think you have to remember, like, if you're including Heedle in this as well, that that that's an asset in itself, like a twenty two year old former right. first round yeah. pick, like that goes into it. But like, I think you're you're looking at one of their top prospects, and if the Ducks are I don't want to say if the Ducks are smart, but they should be looking at right-handed defensemen, a guy like Schneider, a guy like Lundquist, who've played with the uh, the Rangers this year. And one of them could easily make way with Lindholm coming in. He can't play both of them in the lineup at this point. So I think that would kind of be a starting point for them to look at. Yeah, you can bring in, you know, a Nemeth that comes back just for a salary swap. Um, and then, yeah, the, the first-round pick. So I, I, I mean, I would. Um, it depends on what offers you get, but I think there is some potential for them to get traded both at the same time to the same team, and one team just kills two birds with one stone, goes out and gets their, their top nine forward and their top four defensemen from one team, and it's just a quick and easy transaction. Um, I think it's increasingly more likely. I know it's – I don't, know, I don't want to say it's cliche. I know it's kind of a cop-out. So, yeah, they, have, they both have the same agent, so it makes – um, negotiations but easier, also but it
1: are really close. Yeah, yeah, they're for sure. Really like they, I'm close. sure they would
0: love to go to the same team. Um, and again, I'll keep harping on this point. Like again, you dealing with the same guy here to move both of these guys out. It's yeah. a very easy negotiation in that sense to get them both to the same team. And you know, we look at Calgary; just they already have Toffoli. Now they're going out and getting a defenseman. <laughs> a lot of teams are all going to have the same needs: a depth forward and a defenseman that they want to add there's a handful of them all out there that are going to be willing to go out and add the same and when you think Ricard Racal is probably the most the best bang for your buck in terms of what you can get for the cap hit and you can go out and get probably the best UFA defenseman on the market from the same team and you don't have to go and have two separate negotiations and in what would normally be maybe a first round pick for each of these guys, you can just go and get both of them and uh, and pay the high price to get both of them right off the bat. So, uh, I mean, like, I, I think it would be interesting. The Ducks might get more themselves by just moving them separately. But uh, you could really right. appeal to a team, I guess, to, to maybe move say, an Anton Lindell or something like that. I know he's close to untouchable at this point with the way he's played this year, but maybe Jesus, maybe dude. that's how you tip if... the scales on a really high-end prospect, right, is to say, okay, we can get both of your needs done with this one deal.
1: So, all right, well, let's, let me, all right, wait a minute. Let's go to there. Let's go
0: to there. A little, their little <laughs> cat-friendly page here. Let's find uh, the I know, so, so Lindell's deal or so rumors came up you. in Would the and do... stuff, and now it's said he's untouchable since,
1: but Could be what tips the scales, right? So, let me dead up. Would you do Lundell and Hornquist for Lindholm and Raquel? Straight up, nothing else. Yeah, I think so. Because if we're we're talking about getting the
0: best possible return, right now, you know, is a first, a third, and Schneider better than Anton Lundell? Probably not, right? Like because Anton Lundell is. Calder Trophy candidate this year he's a right. top one of the top prospects in the entire NHL to go out and bring in a guy like that that's what you're looking for right Is yeah, you, it's great to have all these other pieces A first can turn into a good prospect a third can turn into a pretty good prospect and you get Braden Schneider but those picks are hit or miss you know what you're getting with Anton Lindell right and you immediately can interject that into your lineup so uh, yeah, I would I would take that 10 times out of 10 to bring in a player like that. Whatever the best player you can get, I'll take that. The, the Ducks yeah. have a ton of small yeah, pieces, interesting. You know, good young prospects on the way to fill up the <clears> lineup. <throat> We've said this multiple times, that the next things they need are some more star pieces to add to Zegras and
1: Drysdale and McTavish. If... All right, we're just going to go down this for another five minutes real quick. We're going to just give ourselves this little fantasy to live in. Do you move Zegers to the wing if you have McTavish and Liddell?
0: I think ultimately you move McTavish to the wing because that he he's
1: mm, he's played on the wing
0: before. I think you get the freedom to choose at that point, right? Is you could try you've they've tried Zegers at the wing this year after playing him on center, and now he's back at center. Um, and I think when McTavish comes back up, he's only played on the wing uh, in Anaheim when he's been up. So I think they give him the chance at center, see how he does, but it, it gives you some flexibility to, to to try it out. And I think either of them could eventually move to the wing and it would work well. Uh, and it could be a situation where you just rotate them in and out and try guys at different spots until you find a fit, right? Like it's not a bad problem to have. <laughs> just play all three of them together. <laughs> screw it. McTavish on the left. Zegas on um, the right. Lindell yeah. So, on all the right. I like that.
1: Well, let's do it. Um, yeah, so, yeah, let's just walk that back anyways. But I just no, never live in that yeah, world for would, five I seconds. I would love that. Now, I think Lundell
0: um. is, is getting fairly close to untouchable for the Panthers, but we've talked about it with these teams, the teams like the Panthers oh, yeah. and the Wild and the Rangers, who be, are closing in on Cap with a lot of contract extensions that kick in next year. I think in the Panthers' case, it's uh, Barkov and then a Huberto extension that have to come into place. And with the Rangers, it's uh, uh-huh. Zbigniewicz and uh, Adam Fox, yeah. Adam Fox, he so jumps. So they kick in. Adam Fox. And the Wild, they have Ed's a bit few. In, yeah.
1: But Adam Fox jumps yeah, from an exactly. ELC. This, season, this right? is win that's now for teams like that.
0: and so brutal. You know, yes, it's great to have a young player like Antel Lindell under that ELC cap hit for, you know, the next couple of years. But is it almost more valuable just to bring in two impactful pieces for a cup run this year when you are a favorite to win the cup? You have to weigh those odds if, if you're the competitive team there. And what, what is more like, beneficial? Can you win the Cup with adding Raquel and Lindholm to that team and potentially another depth piece somewhere else That and it's going to cost you Anton Lindell? I think at that point, if you feel like you have a good enough shot to do it, which I think the Panthers do, it's, it's what it's, what it's going to cost you to win. And if you win the Cup, then you're not worried
1: about it. Here's my question. Does that deal make more sense for the Rangers, than Florida. Yeah,
0: I think so. I think it makes a little bit more sense for uh, for the Rangers. I don't think significantly more, but I think because it does, I, I think their their win now threshold is a little bit higher than than the Panthers. We have a little yeah, bit older I players. Uh, yeah. It's. I, it, I, I don't think they're as well built out, uh, and, and the contracts they have coming up, and guys they might lose. And then, like you said, the ELC jumped to nine and a half for Adam Fox. Like, that cap space they have evaporates fairly quickly. Um, and they've got all those young pieces they they can move now, right? So I, I definitely think, yeah, it, uh, it's a bit more urgent on the Rangers
1: side to go out and get something done. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think those are the ones, right? It's it's Carolina. Like, I was looking right now, and Nito Niederreiter is contracts up at the end of this year and he makes 5 to 5 so it's like, you know, like, he's third on the team in goals, but, like, ninth in points. He's only got, like, he's got 14 goals and 10 assists, and, like, I um, I just think, yeah, Carolina, um, Minnesota, like we've talked about, are, are the teams that are definitely in that area where they have as much of an incentive as anybody to push, maybe Minnesota at the most, um, because... If it's lean the next few years and it's hard and you've got Eck and you've got Boldy and you've got Caprizov and you can't do anything with them because you're paying $14 million in dead cap space, like, that's crazy to me. Like, I just think that's almost, like, unsurvivable. It, it, you get in a tough spot. And, you know what
0: I mean? I mean, teams are looking at Edmonton and Toronto as almost examples of what not to do with contracts and superstars in cap space right now and and how it's proven how tough it is for those but teams to, I, to kind of navigate that space, right?
1: Yeah, and, and if that's the thing, though, right, at least, like, with them, you can, like, look yeah. at the tangible impact, right, which is these stars. If it's Minnesota, it's... Uh, it's we tried to get rid of these two guys, and it cost us $14 million right. a year for three years in what will be, you know... Uh, statistically Kaprizov's most productive years. Uh, it'll be, you know, the beginning of Boldy and the best of Erickson X years, right? Like, you know, that defense is fantastic, but it's not young. Uh, yeah, I don't know. This is, again, we've turned back into a Minnesota Wild podcast, but I just, thinking about trying to find those, those pressure points, it does feel like, Minnesota is in a very unique position to kind of be put against it because of how they're built and how they're going to lose that cap space right it's a little different if it's yeah well this guy who just yep. wants the the Norris we're paying yep. him now because he's that good you know or you know I mean if we're lucky Huberto win the heart this year I'm like I keep looking at, and and I want to keep drilling down
0: on this lindell florida situation because dalton asked a question in the chat he said what's the most you would give up for lindell um and, and you look at well that, that's Gibson. not gonna happen they got bobrovsky and <laughs> but i know i know yeah no i'm telling you right
1: now i would take back bobrovsky to get wow. lindell that's
0: yeah but I, mean, I mean like i'm Don't thinking of, okay me. so lindholm and Raquel are going uh hornquist is coming back um, to, so there's yeah. there's a benefit there for to shed some cap space for the Panthers so they can you know, be a bit more comfortable in signing Huberto um, you would assume they would want to look at locking up Lindholm so you do free up a little bit of cap space in that sense for them there Raquel seems to be a rental but again jumps right up into their top 6 he would take Owen Tippett's spot with Sam Bennett and Jonathan Huberto which would be really nice for them it allows them to slide Tippett down in the lineup if you have to add Comtois to that do you do it It is Lindholm Raquel is rentals and Comtois for Lindell and Hornquist so you're taking on salary as well we'll just say nothing else. else for sake of argument I'm sure there would be picks and stuff in there but
1: if I oh man I oh I think when it came down to it, I think I might I might be able I might be willing to put Comte in there because I think the opportunity to have three high impact centers potentially on one team all on the same timeline is is kind yeah. of incredible. Right? I mean, you're you're again it, it I think it's it's interesting, right? Everybody talks about how much McKinnon is underpaid and how McKinnon being so underpaid has allowed, you know, uh, Colorado to maximize that opportunity cost and keep high impact players in the middle of their primes, right? They're keeping Ranton, they're keeping Landis Gog. Um, they're gonna keep McCarr and Gerard and these kinds of players and to me like that only happens because McKinnon wasn't straight perfect right right out of the jump right it took him a couple years to figure out and it, it reminds me a lot of Stephen curry and the contract that he took that allowed them to build the super warriors because he had ankle injuries and they weren't 100 sure if he was going to have injury issues over the duration of his career and the reason i'm thinking about this all is because you know if you, if you bring in a player like lindell then you put yourself in a position where you're toronto because there's nobody in your lineup that you're going to be able to squeeze to keep their cap hit down in a way that's going to give you meaningfully more cap hit or cap space in, in other places. Yeah, I mean, so, in, in a good you know, in
0: a good scenario where they all pan out, you're paying Zegers, McTavish, Lindell, Drysdale probably seven to eight million each, right? 30, like at least.
1: Oh, if. If they all pan out, I think you're paying probably $40 million in total to for a Yeah, horrible. I would say between thirty-five and forty
0: is what you would e- expect it to be around.
1: Because, I mean, if, it, like, Jamie Drysdale panning out. Like, yeah, I'm you saying, saying all these guys hit, the hit their ceiling, ceiling, right? Or If they all hit their ceiling, that might be 50 Yeah, I, I mean, cars. I think the Ducks get lucky here.
0: That they all they might be first-line guys.
1: They go to, like, an eight-by-eight-and-a-half, similar to what Jack Hughes did. God. I want it to be 8.00001, just $1 more every year than Jack Hughes, just because it's I, funny I think, yeah, I, I, like
0: honestly, at the end of the but, day, Lindell could could be untouchable, but I, I, I think it all depends on how desperate they are to win. He is a right? How desperate are the Panthers are to, yeah. to win this year. The, the Ducks are one of the teams that have the ability to take on the cap hit, provide some good young players and some players that can kind of fit – the time frame and the cap range that a team like Florida could be fairly interested in. So it's just a, uh, a, a fun kind of exercise to look at and what it would take to get a guy like that. My last question before we move on from the Lindell stuff is, would you rather you know, move these three guys out, presumably, for just Lindell, or would you rather take their individual return? So if we're saying you know, for sake of getting too far into it here, you know, Raquel and Lindholm both fetch you a first-round pick. You get a player, you know, prospect like Braden Schneider or something like that who's not the same caliber as Lindell, but still a really good prospect. So let's say you get two firsts, a kind of prospect of that level and, you know, a B-level prospect and, a, and another pick in separate deals for Ricard, Raquel, and Hampus Lindholm. You still keep Comtois. What return do you like better, that or just Lindell?
1: I think I would take, in this case, because of where this team is. I, I, ooh, I'm actually putting all your all your eggs you. in
0: one basket if you're taking Antone Dell, right? And it, which is maybe ooh, not the like it's not bad. That's he's right. A
1: really great player. Yeah. yeah, it's not a bad basket to pick. But yeah, I think you know, talking about some of the players in this pipeline, right? And you like if Pastia of hits, that's a high impact winger. Uh if Perot hits, that's a potential Rocket Richard candidate yeah, way, level player. Right. So like feet, so. I, I think it I think it's it's worth having the the quantity and diversity of assets by shipping them off all individually and being able to build internally, right? And and continue to supplement your team. With your own guys, instead of having to go out and looking for those guys like the Rangers did with Barkley Goodrow or Calgary did with uh, Blake Coleman, instead of overpaying for those guys, you're kind of bringing those guys up organically through your through your your, uh, your your system. It's a tough call. I mean, so both I, both are great. That's not know, a, it's I, not a bad situation to be in if you had to pick between the two, right? So, yeah, and it you know you could. T- the, the reason I was saying I was almost talking myself out of saying the, the group is because it's like, well, you actually do have all these good prospects that could kind of likely be middling players, right? Like Colangelo, probably a third liner. Bray Tracy, at best, a second liner, right? So, like, you can see how the limits on these guys actually give you the things that you're hoping to get with the other, and then you bring in a guy who looks like he could be a legitimate number two center in this league for a long time. And if that's the case, like... How do yep. you walk away from that? You know, to have the opportunity to kind of have that that and McTavish and Zegers in the same lineup. Like I it would be very hard to walk away from that. Yep. And what it comes down potential. to for me is why
0: I lean towards Lindell is that these are late firsts. Uh they're likely you know below the twentieth yeah. pick. Yes, the Ducks have a great history there, but if we're saying, you know, you ultimately you pull a, a Tracy uh Perot And then you get, you know, tight player and Schneider and then, you know, whoever you get in the third and maybe you hit, maybe you don't on it. You get three types of players you already have unless you really, really hit. And it's been tough for teams to find those players late in the first that become superstars. Um, You're passing up a guy who could be a legitimate star in this league to bring in, you know, more of kind of what you already have, right? Um, coming up in the pipeline the ducks have enough prospects to fill out the middle six of their roster and it's about finding those key pieces to add to the Ziegris and McTavish and yeah. Dry, Drysdale right now and you know maybe Zellweger seems like he could be that guy and the ducks found a diamond in the rough in in the second round but you're getting almost you know as close to a sure thing by bringing in a player like Lindell um versus you know some some hopes and prayers with those first round picks, right?
1: Who is the big right-handed kid that Toronto uh, took a draft? After, I think. No, uh, the most recent one. He went after Braden Schneider. Uh, man, I'd have to. Or maybe I'm thinking of Braden Schneider and I just, he was projected to go to Toronto because he's, he's a guy that they Braden need. Schneider Cause I don't. I think the, the Leafs drafted
0: the last Leafs top pick. I remember. Was, did Did
1: Schneider yes. play for the Wheat Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, the Leafs had, had no him. first round pick last year. Okay, they were two five and a six. Yeah, their last first it. round pick was um, for Cap and Amirov in 2020. So... God, love to yeah. get my
1: hands on that. Uh, Schneider bad.
0: was 2020 draft, right? Yes, I believe he so. went 19th to the Rangers. Dawson Mercer went just before that. Mm. So Toronto, Toronto nice. could have drafted, but the drafted Brody and Amirov. So. <laughs> and uh, Anton Lindell went 12th overall in that
1: draft. So, Nine. Insane. He fell past uh, Askarov, right? Yep. He went to yep. pick More after Askarov?
0: Freddie, Rossi, Quinn, Holtz, Skyfield, Sanderson, Raymond, Stutzla, Byfield, Lafreniere.
1: Like I get, Rossi. I, it is very hard for me to think Ascarov over Lundell is a good choice, especially with Cole Perfetti went after that. Right, he can get like 15 yep. points. you to had, uh,
0: if you're Nashville, you already had UC Soros, who's panning it out to be a pretty
1: yeah.
0: pretty good successor
1: to Peckerin. Yeah, like I just, oh, man, that's a. You know, and it's all hindsight. We have the benefit of knowing some of this. I just think, you know, even some of the stuff going into the draft that you were hearing about Anton Lundell and his skill set, I just, it, it would be really hard to pass that up for a goalie, even with the understanding that Asarov yeah, could be generational. Tough. I mean,
0: we'll we'll know in a few years, and then how that pans out, hopefully, hopefully we're <laughs> judging Lindell's... Uh... Wendell's success in a Ducks jersey not, not a Panthers jersey but we'll, we'll see how this uh God, this trade man. deadline pans out I know our, our trade deadline discussions always start to teeter into the fantasy realm with some of these deals but uh the, the, yeah. it's an exciting time the Ducks have some players that they're likely going to move and they're going to get some good assets for it uh before we move on from the trade deadline stuff we didn't really talk about Manson too much there was a lot of focus on Raquel and Lindholm so I wanted to spend a the- couple minutes on, on Manson, because his situation is a bit different than them, and the Ducks don't have as much flexibility to move him wherever they want, because he has that no-trade list that he has submitted. Do you remember how many teams that is? Twelve, okay. And I And remember that teams, like, you know, most of the, if not all, Canadian teams aren't on it, with the, the issues surrounding COVID-19 restrictions and stuff, which, apparently at least here in Ontario, is going to be completely abandoned starting March 1st. So maybe maybe that changes things for him. I don't know if it's the COVID restrictions that are causing it. I'm sure that's part of the reason. and Maybe it is he just doesn't want to move that far away from his family that he has established in Southern California, so who knows. But uh, I know obviously a lot of um, people's ears uh, ticked up when they heard Dave Manson was becoming an assistant coach with the Oilers, and, and that could potentially be a, des- a destination because yeah. the Oilers are in desperate need of a good right-handed defenseman to fill a hole on, on their right side. So apparently Edmonton is on the no trade list for Josh Manson. I don't know if it stays like that forever, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's the hardest one, right. To ship out because of that, because uh, the the list
1: of suitors is almost cut in half. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's fair, but I, I do think, Even with the no trade protection, I do think he's a little closer to Raquel than uh Lindholm yeah. in that regard. Because like I think you can look at Raquel and be like, all right, he's thoughts into our second line. Like he's just now he's our second line right wing, and that allows us to move this guy down a line to go back with this guy, yada yada yada. Same thing with Manson. You go, he comes in, he steps into the second pair. He's just—he's the second pair right-handed defenseman. We know that that's going to be, you know, a bit more of a shutdown pair, and we're going to go from there. Like, there is just a, an ease and a certainty to bringing that type of player in. That, even with, like I said, even with the 12-team no-trade list, I I still think he'll be mm-hmm. movable, and I think it would be a little bit closer to certain to me than not unless there's a contract extension. Yeah.
0: The good thing is, I mean, we'll see it before the deadline. If it's an extension, he's either going to get moved or sign an extension. There's no, there's no in between here. Like he's not going to sign an extension in the off season or after the deadline. He's either going to sign an extension before the deadline. And I think if we head into deadline day and he hasn't signed it, he's getting moved. Like it is, it is a extension. Yeah. that's going to get signed probably a couple of weeks in advance of the deadline and uh, it might be one of the first ones they tackle because of that, right? Like, okay, what teams are interested? What teams are not on your – like, what teams are on your no-trade list? Okay, we're going to go to the ones that aren't. What are you going to give from? What's the best we can get from And weigh it up with, you know, the cost of, of extending them. Ultimately, I think they should trade them along with Raquel and Linton, but I, I like to burn things down, so <laughs> that's uh... – that's kind of been my, my thought though in, the entire time the guy was only really willing to resign was Lintone but that looks like that ship has sailed now uh, but he is now the most likely to resign if they do and and ultimately if they do if they do resign him I can I can understand why from a positional standpoint like it's a lot to just be like okay Dr, you're really our only right-handed defenseman at this point in time if he moves out the door. Um, but, yeah, he's mm. his will be an interesting situation to follow because of that. there's a lot of teams that are going to be interested in him. It just depends if the teams that are the most interested and willing to pay the most are one of the teams that he's willing to go to.
1: Or if he can be convinced to waive no right. trade protection for one of those teams. Yeah, because he
0: still he still would have the freedom he... as a free agent to decide where he wants to go. Um, You know, yep. whether that's back to Anaheim... Shh. Or to a team closer, uh, you know, I, again, I don't know if that's a – I would imagine that his family comes into it, but maybe it's to L.A. Or maybe it's to, you know, uh, I, I was going to say Arizona, but probably not. Or Vegas or something like that. Who knows? A team that, that's closer that could still use him and he takes a, a bit of a team-friendly deal to stick around and, and play closer to home. That could be a possibility. You're like To him, the selling point is, like, listen, you're only leaving for five, four or five months in a playoff run, depending on how long that goes. Then you get to pick wherever you want to go. I think that's the selling point for him to potentially waive that no trade class is, listen, you're not going for five years. You you get to make the decision on where you want to go when you hit free agency, but will you go here? This is the best return we can get. Can you help out the team one last time? Maybe he waives it. I don't know. But
1: uh, we're. Yeah. So, all right, let's Hmm. put a bow on this with this not the same team for any of them. And you have to think about the best case for them for this year. Where would you love to see those three guys go? I think
0: uh Lindholm to Florida. It's really close between Florida and the Rangers, but I think you know Uyghur and Lindholm down the left uh with Ekblad and Gudis on the right. I think that's just that's amazing. I think that's a great opportunity for for Lindholm to step in there and potentially it's, you know, it's a weaker act for Lindholm to play with Gudis. I think that gives him a bit more freedom to play the way he wants to play. And he's a little bit protected. Then he's not the main guy. I think that's the perfect situation for him to walk into, um, out of all the teams again, I I think New York provides almost the same thing, but I, th- I would imagine he jumps into the top pair left side, right? For, the Rangers potentially with Fox and then right. great opportunity, but you are the main guy again. So it all depends on how much he wants to be the main guy. I think the fit for him as a number two lefty in Florida is perfect.
1: Yeah. I think with Lindholm, I think for me, it's Boston. Bad, yeah. Playing with McAvoy because I, I, I don't think anybody would score on them if it was him and McAvoy in the playoffs. I just don't believe it. Like, imagine, like, you're down by one in the playoffs, and so you have to get a goal, and then you, like, look up, and it's like, oh, Lindholm and McAvoy and Bergeron and Pasternak and Marchand. We're fucked. Like, you know what I mean? So I, I think that's the one for me. Uh, I think for Raquel, mine would be St. Louis, because I just think he would step in and really provide – that extra punch, um, offensively yeah, for them. Tough what about you for, for me
0: on where I would place him? Because uh, there's a lot of teams that could use forward depth. I think he could jump in and and do a job there. I just honestly struggle to find like a perfect fit for him on where he could play. And Dalton mentioned a, a good one where I think he would be able to jump up into the lineup and maybe bounce some of the guys out in Tampa. Just what and. and again he's probably the only guy Tampa can go out and afford and get. I, the rumors are Tampa is probably not going to do much, but if they're going to target somebody, I think it would be somebody like Raquel who they can get for almost nothing and bring in and and he probably jumps into their top 6 and could play with a guy like Point or Stamkos and that would be that would be huge for him. So if they could somehow make it work, then I could imagine Tampa is a, is a good destination for him. Not, not even sure what the Ducks would get in return. Tampa's decimated their prospect pool over the last couple of years. For obvious reason.
1: <laughs> Fine, we'll take Sergachev.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would uh that would be nice. But I think if as a personal fit for the player, like why would you not want to go to the back to back Stanley Cup champs and potentially play in their top six, right? Like I think that'd be a great spot for him. Perry <laughs> <Terrible>, Raquel. <laughs> Raquel to go back to center. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Where, what about yeah, Boston, I, I'm, Boston
0: was a thought, uh I know way back before they were out, um, before they started the way they did, we we liked his fit in Philly uh, as a potential spot. Um, I think for Very me, much. it's between Toronto and Carolina. Carolina, if they miss out on Klingberg, I I think is a he, is a great landing spot for him to go there and and not have to play as much uh, under as much pressure. Uh, but then Toronto, there's just such an obvious need for a player like him on the right side of defense to to slot in. Uh, so I think either of those, either of those teams would be good fits for him, but uh, Toronto seems to not be on his list right now.
1: Yeah, I think Toronto makes the most sense from a go somewhere and be appreciated perspective. Just because I think you know the way he plays, and him being on a new team and like kind of being reinvigorated by being on this contender with this high-end firepower, like I think we would get the best version of Manson back um and it would be very hard for me to not want to see him do really well there like if he went to Toronto and won a cup I might get a Toronto Manson jersey like it's that ridiculous for me um but yeah so anyways we can move on to whatever I just uh, I just thought that would be
0: yeah, I mean, I mean that Whatever. that pretty Anyways. much covers it. Um, we we're gonna, I was gonna talk the move, the Zegers move at the All Star Skills Comp, but I feel like we've covered that. and That's almost two weeks old now, which is crazy uh, <clears> that <throat> it's that far in the past. Uh, so we'll we'll skip that one. Uh, we talked a bit about uh, the Calgary and Edmonton game, trying to leave those in the dust because of how bad those uh, those two performances are. Just uh, so the thing. only other thing I was gonna get into, but I think we'll save this because we are planning a prospect update uh, episode. Is we are going to look at, uh, <laughs> yeah, Scott Wheeler's Ducks top prospects. Uh, he released the Ducks are number five, and his prospect pool ranking. So I was going to look at that, but uh, and that's without yeah, that's right? guys like Zelweger and Calangelo have taken huge steps forward this year. Um, it's just jumped the list, and then obviously passed you off McTavish uh, on that list as well as among others. So. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's impressive. Perot, uh, to Dostal, say the least. Yeah. Yeah, Dostal's had a really nice run lately for San Diego. Yeah, Perot's unfortunately cooled right off just after. Yeah. He's a goal
1: scorer. It's going to yeah, happen. But, yeah, Stricy. Zellweger leading
0: all WHL defensemen in scoring and have played like eight less games than all of
1: them. It's it's Yeah, wild. dude. It's insane. It's like 11 less games, and he's got like two more points. Yeah, like he 48 points in I think like 37 games or
0: something right now, which is just wild. Uh, I checked it the other yeah. day. I kind of want to pull up this tweet now. I'm not sure how old it is and how buried it is, but it was a list of WHL defensemen in the last 25 years that Zellweger has a better points per game uh, rate than and it was pretty much, like, everybody. <laughs> like, any, every every top defenseman <laughs> to be drafted out of the uh, the WHL in the last couple of years, uh, he was better than Here it is, So, um, just to put just a casual list of NHL defensemen whose WHL single-season point-per-game totals weren't better than Owen Zellweger's 1.371 that he has at this point in the season. Guys like Shay Theodore, Ivan Provorov, uh, Bowen Byram, Josh Morrissey, Tyson Berry, Tyler Sanheim, uh, Kalen Addison, Jake Bean, <gasps> Ryan Pulak, David Severson, Matt Dumba, Seth Jones, Morgan Riley, Jason Spurgeon, Shea Weber, and Ty Smith. Like those are the, the those are the, all the top defensemen. Oh my God. Uh, In the WHL over the last couple of years, and this is all their seasons too. Like this isn't just their sophomore season or the rookie season. Like any of their seasons in the WHL so even third or fourth year for some of these guys uh, he is producing at a higher rate than all of them which is wild for for again he's still 17. I mean, he was one or two days away from being eligible for this year's draft as uh, like an older player like that's how young he was in last year's draft so he's basically doing this as a draft eligible player right now. And posting higher points per game totals Jeez than Louise. some of these guys did in their draft plus one, draft plus two seasons. And we're talking, like, the top of the top offensive young defensemen to come out of the WHL. Guys who are, like, premier point producers in the NHL right now. And Seth Jones and Shay Theodore and, among yeah. others, Bowen Byram, right? like,
1: Shut up. Don't pump Seth Jones' <laughs> tires right but now. It's it like, on.
0: listen, it's... Um, Good. There was some worry and con- and concern, and I don't want to, not really that much, but there was some you know debate on whether Zellweger was going to you know the, what he did last year in, like his 13 points in 11 games was for real. Uh, he's proven that beyond a doubt this year. I um, mean, he's rocking his way up the, yeah. the Ducks prospect list. Like, it, it there's a debate for him at second behind McTavish right now, the the way he's had. Like, it's just an unbelievable yeah. season. Uh, the, this type of reg- progression you don't really see from a lot of prospects to begin with you a, yet yet uh, like a young defenseman in junior to take this these steps forward offensively and then not at the detriment of his defense as well like he's improved that as well uh, and, he, and then also being one of the best skaters to come out of that draft like it uh, it's scary to see what this guy can do and again uh, a testament to the ducks scouting and drafting that they got this guy in the second round
1: yeah no it it, you know it's 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 exciting to have a young dynamic uh defender like that in the system I mean you know you remember how much I was gushing over just the concept of Jeremy Poirier and like it feels like this is you know what you were kind of hoping Poirier would be and you know and, and his his skating and his intelligence and his speed just allows for him to make up for being, I think, like four and a half feet yeah. five Five foot uh, eight when he was drafted. You
0: know. I think he's at, it, it was like a generous five eight or not so generous 5'8", because now he's listed at 5'10", which is manageable. Yeah, so hopefully he's actually by, by the time he, yeah, five eight off skates. <laughs> but uh, you probably eventually 5'11", <laughs> close to maybe scraping the surface of six feet, because he's still only 17, so he's got a little bit more time here. Yeah. Which is close which enough is to lie. Average close the average NHL
1: defenseman nowadays. Yeah. So. No, it's yeah, no, it's interesting. Um, I I just think it's 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 very exciting, you know, because there are a lot of kind of steady two way guys in the system, um, you know, Thron and Moore and, and some of those guys that just project to be good guys. Um, and to, to have someone else that next to Drysdale who could be young and dynamic like that, I just think is. Is is really special, and it it could be uh, a, a huge bonus for Anaheim when they hit that next contending window that we all kind of hope yeah, they're gonna hit it, sooner it, than later.
0: This is a guy who'll probably go back to the WHL next season too, and it just like I can only imagine what this what he's gonna do next year. Like another year of, of experience and some some more. You don't I
1: mean, think he can't, he'll go to the A?
0: He can't. So it's uh, it's either NHL or back to the WHL. Because that, that rule only oh, applies to right. Perot and Drysdale be- and Tracy because Wait, they watch. played time there during the the lockdown. So, barring another COVID right. lockdown yeah. or, or anything like that, he's back uh, in the WHL next year, which is wild. Um, but he could push for a roster spot, Jeez, right? If if and Manson are gone, there's uh there's open spots there, right? And it's not like Gooley and Larson are on top of the list to take uh to take spots. Even Josh Mahura at this point. So if he comes out and has a good camp. All of a sudden, this guy could potentially be in the in the NHL at eighteen, depending on how well he does.
1: Jesus Christ, that is that's so insane to me. Um, but man, it's 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 nice to be here, eh? When it yeah, you know just have like these guys outside that, of
0: the top picks to have way, these guys do so well that people are like. You know, so many guys that we have now in the, in the pool that are like, oh man, this guy could have been the steal of the draft. No, this guy could have been the steal of the draft. Like, to probably get what most people yeah. are saying there are the two steals of the draft, the early one in past you have and now a little bit later one because of his production in Olin Zellweger, like these guys you got in the second and third round. And you look back at this maybe five years and say, the Ducks got McTavish, Zellweger, Pastuov in the first three rounds of the 2021 draft. Like, that's how you make or break. A uh, rebuilt and, and success
1: down the road, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the bit of luck you gotta have, you know. And, and you know, luck is almost unfair, but it's one of those things where it's like luck is the result of like hard work and commitment, kind of a thing. I don't know. There's a quote like that, but I always think about that. Right? Is like, you know, you generate your luck by doing the hard work and. Um, you know, the ability for that staff to go into that draft and pull out three guys that, you know, maybe like you said, in five or six years, they all look like first round draft picks. That's huge. Like, that's exactly like you said, i just feel like I'm just repeating you at this point. But yeah. You know, those are the stuff that, that allow you to be competitive, you know, how close those guys are together in age and how, how, how well their primes overlap. And things the like only that. other guy so. I wanted to mention was um, Sam
0: Colangelo, too, because, I mean, we're, we'll get into all these guys eventually for the prospect update, but three, three assists in eight games last year and an in, in injury-riddled COVID-blocked season for Northeastern. He's got eight goals, 20 points, and 19 games this year. So he's he and, and when we got him, too, like there was a lot of people who said that he could have been the steal of the, of the draft for Anaheim in this early second round, a guy who was projected as a late first um, back when he was drafted playing for Chicago in the USHL. So a, a really good season for him. And a, a guy that was like um, likened show. to Jones, big physical guy. I think he's like 6'3", 210. Uh, good scoring touch, so a nice, nice depth piece that could hopefully round out. You think a potential, you know, third line uh, with Jones and Colangelo on the wings. That's uh, these are the type of guys that teams really want and pay a lot for the Barkley Goodrow type guys. And you've got
1: two in the system you can well, he... bring right into the lineup down the road. Well, here's the thing that's I think really interesting. As you run away from me because you hate me, um, I was gonna say. Uh, what I was going to say about Colangelo is, like, if he hits 85%, 90% of his um, potential based on, you know, his build and the fact that he's got that heavy shot, like, he could kind of be, and this is just stylistically a baby Ovi as far as, you know, a big physical forward who can then jump in on the flat and then just has that heavy shot and kind of produce on a second power play line. You know what I mean? Like, if he's in that the 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 one-timer spot on your second power play that's that's not bad that's you know that's good stuff right if your second power play is like him and zellweger and and mctavish and and terry like yeah you're in a really good spot um so that's all i just i just think uh colangelo is someone that i'm i'm very excited about as far as just to see if he kind of makes it, just because of his style yeah. of game. Variety to the prospect
0: pool as well, and it's one of the things I think yeah. the Ducks have done done so well with. When you look at you know the Joneses, Mctavish, and Colangelo's, and then the Pastuovs and the Zegers and Perros, like just different types of, of players that will eventually fill out. Yeah, will Definitely fill out your roster. Uh, a lot of good young two way guys like Tracy and Shanshagirl on the way as well, and yeah, it's it's a nice mix, right? And uh, hopefully. Hopefully Anton Lindell gets added to that, and then whatever whatever first round pick the Ducks get, uh, <laughs> that could be a top ten pick this year as well. So it's a it's a big year, big year in the works. Uh, we'll wrap it up with this predictions for uh, the upcoming games. We got four. No, 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 no. All right. Here's
1: here's what yep. we're gonna wrap with. I'm gonna ask you this: Would you rather get fifth in this draft, or no, win this draft and get Anton Lindell? Or get oh, Carter Bedard, Bedard next sure. year. You're insane. No, you no, hate Lindell. Just, you heard it here. Eddie,
0: the some players. That, and he says, oh, uh, yeah, Bedard is something else. That's uh, you can't pass that up. That that's like a right. top five potential player in the league when you look at him. So I'll take that any day of the week. I'll take him. I'll take him over Lindell and two, all right, two Eddie. first round picks. So, Two top two picks in this year's draft, like that.
1: Vancouver, San Jose, LA. At New Vancouver York. on
0: Saturday. Vancouver just rattled off a win, which is not good for the Ducks. I think loss against Vancouver, a win against San Jose. Uh, is that the Rangers or the Islanders? Okay, uh, loss against Islanders. LA, unfortunately, uh, and a win against the Islanders. So I'll go two and two. Being optimistic.
1: I will say. I will say one, two, and one. I think they will beat Vancouver, and I think they will take uh, the Islanders to overtime. But I think San Jose and yep. L.A. If be you lose these that. next
0: three games, it's over. Like it, It's already potentially over. Your fate is sealed. But yeah, yeah no, we, we talked about, no like, question. you look at this team at the end of February, and if, if they lose all these big games, it's done, no matter what you do in March.
1: Well, yeah, because then... Because then you walk into Boston and Vegas, and then you have to play San Jose again. You got Florida Nashville, month, uh, Jersey, the Rangers, Couple Florida, late Florida games Nashville, Vegas. Yeah, pushing no. for a wild card spot. So, God, wet. the wheels fell off that it way worked. fast, man. It is it's been it's a fun ride this
0: year. Uh, so, but, you know, this was to be expected at some point. Uh, but we'll be we'll be back. It's nice to be back for a post game yeah. show. was a little bit of a. I switch up so this counted yeah. as our weekly show for this week because we've all got uh, some some busy busy weekends <laughs> coming up and i think we missed last week because uh, we're recording a patreon episode which will be coming out soon as well steven just uh flipped over the file to me uh so we'll be releasing that uh this weekend and this one will be obviously out now and then out uh, tomorrow morning for anybody listening to it after the fact uh, I think we're aiming to try and do another Patreon episode for this weekend. Just depends on availability. I know Jason wanted to do a show, but he's got hockey like every single day. <laughs> so we're trying to uh, to figure that out and see if that could work. But uh, some more Patreon episodes on the way coming up, and then we'll be back for this show uh, either late during the week next week or back uh, to our regular scheduled time on the weekend. So we'll, we'll fill you guys in on that one. Uh, I just we just looked at the games so and I forgot what we had, but I think there's one game on Sunday. <laughs> the, uh, the 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 Islanders game is on yeah, Sunday, Friday, so maybe Sunday. maybe that'll be Friday, it. Friday, Sunday. We'll aim, aim for a Saturday one uh, for that one to cover these last three games. So appreciate anybody who's stuck out live for this one. Anybody listening after the fact, uh, happy to be back. Glad that uh, we can get back on on the weekly show here, and we'll catch you guys all in uh, in about a week.
1: Bye, everybody.